If you have your Bibles, turn over to Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 1 through 9. Amen. It's, you know, when I think of, I don't know, maybe that's just me. When I think of Pastor Mario being discouraged, it's like an oxymoron. I never, he never looks discouraged to me, man. He's always encouraging. Amen. You never know what people are going through. I hope I know that. Amen. I want to, uh, a couple weeks ago, this, God laid this on my heart. You know, ministry is an amazing thing. Uh, I, I, trying to convince people that God wants to use them sometimes can be pretty difficult. You know, the call of God. I, I, when I first got saved, I remember back uh, in the 80s, man, it was a, it was a, fire i mean coming to church everybody was excited amen there was all kinds of people wanting to preach the gospel people who shouldn't have been preaching people who were should have been preaching i mean it was exciting and you know what i feel like i feel like god's doing it again amen revival comes in seasons and there's like it see it feels like it feels like we have these lulls like pastor uh, mario's talking about then you then it's all it's like god builds us up i i really do in my heart of hearts feel like god's about to do something again uh, he's doing it anyways right now amen we're just trying to get everybody to get on board with us amen in isaiah chapter 6 i want to talk about the the vision that isaiah had in the call of god in isaiah chapter 6 starting in verse 1 he says in the year that king uzziah died i saw the lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood a seraphim. Each one had six wings. And with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door was shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And, I, and then I said, here am I, send me. And then he said, go and tell this people. Father, in the name of Jesus, help me this morning, God. Give me your mind, your words. I pray, speak to us, God. Refresh us, stir us, I pray, God, and challenge us in Jesus' name. Amen. In this vision that God had showed Isaiah, with great detail, he begins to write what he sees. And, I, and it was real enough that he falls under conviction. And naturally, any man that would, you know, see God, I mean, a holy God would feel unworthy, unclean, and undone. But, 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 but the amazing part of this story, and the part that I want to bring out is this, is that God was not talking directly to Elijah. He wasn't directing the question to him. He wasn't even pressuring him. Because he said in verse 8, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Do you know there has, there has never been a man of God or woman of God answer the call of God so quickly as Isaiah did? You, you, can, you can put Moses, Gideon, Jeremiah, Jonah, and Peter in, in, together, and they were all slow to obey God. 
Never had, has there been a man that obeyed the, God, the call of God so quickly. Most of the time, when I think about the call of God, do you know it's not some, I don't really believe it's always some big fantastic vision. It's not, uh, uh, most of the time it's like something that God drops in a person's heart. He drops it in your heart. Sometimes maybe it's a clap of thunder. Other times it's a gradual realization that God wants to use your life. But the greatest struggle that I see in, in ministry is, is getting people to realize that God wants to do something in their lives. And I, we've always said that it's, you know, you think God's going to use this guy over here and, he, and that, this guy never does anything. This woman never does anything. It's the one over here that you didn't think was going to do something for God that God ends up using. It's such a struggle sometimes to get to convince. It's like I feel sometimes I feel like a cheerleader. God's going to use your life. God's going to use your life. God's going to use your life. And, and, and you're like, I don't understand. I don't have half the talents that you have. I don't have half the gifts you have. Can't you see God wants to use your life? I don't understand. Sometimes I think I don't understand it. It's mind boggling to me. But once a man realizes that God's placed his hand on him, you know, let me read the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 16. He said, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of for necessity is laid upon me. But woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. I believe that ministry in life is like levels. We level off. Things happen in life. Like Mario, I've had things, I had things in my life where I, I feel like I'm going a certain direction. And the next thing you know, God wants to. Go this way. Amen. I want to go this way. And God said, no, you're going this way. Amen. It's like ministry and life and serving God. Is, is, it, it's, it, it comes in levels in life. Our attitude, how we view ministry, how we view the call of God is so important. If you're ever going to find the will of God for your life. Amen. You know, in, uh, in the case of Jeremiah, God calls him from the womb. The Bible says in Jeremiah 1.5, he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you or set you apart. And I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Amos wasn't even born a prophet, wasn't a preacher or the son of a preacher. And in Amos 7.14, he said, I was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a shepherd and also took care of the sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending sheep and said to me, Go and prophesy to my people Israel. Amos was a sheep herder and tended a garden. Amen. And God called him while he was working. It's amazing when somebody gets this revelation. I, I don't know how, if you can think back in your life when you first got saved. Think back when that moment that you realized that I want to do something for God. I mean, we got a lot of people that come and go through churches, right? Tons of people come and go. They come and they go, they come and they go, and we get so excited when they walk in the door, you know, and, and you, you think God's going to use them, God's going to use them, and then they don't come back, and you call, they don't answer your phone calls. There's this new think term out there, I'm old, I don't know what, they ghost me. I told these guys in church, I said, y'all ghost me all the time, amen, I hate social media, you know, when pastor used to call me on the phone, I answered the phone. If I realized I missed a call from Pastor Jones, it didn't matter what I was doing, where I was at, what was going on, I called him back. Amen. And, but, but now I told these guys, I say, you ghost me all the time. What's the purpose of social media if you won't answer my phone calls? You guys know exactly what I'm talking about, right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, he says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, and not many mighty, and not many noble, noble are called. 
But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Pastors always said over the years that God never calls the qualified. He qualifies the call. In 1 Corinthians, the next verse in chapter 2, it says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. The call of God, sometimes the call of God to me, can, it's mysterious and sometimes it's, 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 it's something that I, that I honestly don't understand at times. The call of God. I remember when I got saved and, and uh, I would listen to men come into our church, evangelists come through, people come and they would come and preach. And it was, there was something in, that I would feel I didn't understand I, uh, that that knower, that place in your spirit, I would feel this, this, just like, what is that? Oh man, it's like this excitement, this, uh, this, there's something out there for me. God has something for me. And I remember the day that I went to pastor and I told him, I, you know, I didn't know how to articulate. As a matter of fact, let me just tell you this. I, I thought one day I'm going to take pastor Jones out for, uh, for coffee, him and Marie. No, I'd take him out for lunch. And so I took him out for lunch, but he was so intimidating to me. He was so intimidating to me that I sat at lunch with him and never said a word. I just stared at my plate and ate. I'm serious. The whole time. They're all talking. Everybody's talking. I just stared at my plate like this. Amen. But there was something in this crazy young man that wanted God. I wanted to know, God, what do you want to do with my life? What can I do? I want God. I want you to use me. God, what can I do? God, where, where's my place? Where can you use me? And I remember one day I went to pastor and I said, I said, I don't know how to explain this to you, but I, I, I have this feeling and I don't know what it is. He says, you've got a call on your life. You know, that just threw me in it. What is a call? What does that mean? What am I, what does that mean? Has everybody ever been there? Amen. I want God to use me. The next thing I know, I'm ushering and I'm standing there. You know, I, I always consider myself a tough guy growing up. You know, I'd fight 10 guys and I had no fear. But when they put that usher basket in my hand and I stood there like this with my legs shaking like this. And they said, would you pray over the offering? I was like, oh, my God, really? <laughs> Ministry is an amazing thing, you know. Sometimes people think they give their lives to Jesus Christ the next day should be pastoring a church or be on the mission field. God has all kinds of things for us to do. Ministries levels out. There's all kinds of things that God wants to do. I've taught Sunday school. I've done all kinds of different things. But I'm not done. God's taken me to another level just like he is with you. The call of God's an amazing thing. About two weeks ago, about a week and a half ago, uh, my wife and I were out trying to drum up some business carpet cleaning. And we work side by side. We both wear Marshall's carpet cleaning T-shirts. You know, we, I drive a truck mount. We clean carpets. And uh, carpet cleaning is meant for short people because uh, tall people get backaches, man, doing this. And I'm right there low to the ground. And <clears throat> so we're out looking for work, you know. And, 
And I went to this realty company, and it has, this realty company had 40, no, actually they have hundreds of realtors that work for that company, but, but they had a meeting with 40 realtors. I paid, an, I paid like $700 to join this particular company so I could sit in their meetings and kind of hobnob with realtors to try to pick up work to clean carpets. <clears throat> so I go to this meeting. Nobody knows who we are. We don't know anybody there. <clears throat> no, I, don't, I didn't believe anybody there was a Christian. And uh, as, we're, as we're going along, you know, and they're talking about this and that, this guy gets up and he starts talking and he's really outgoing and and uh, and he just bought I found out he had just bought the company there for millions of dollars he was a multimillionaire and he gets up and he writes onto the board he puts this this sign it says big life big life and he starts talking about the big life you know and I'm listening. I'm kind of half listening because I want to start meeting people. I want this meeting to be over with. And then he says, let me give you an example. He goes, I used to be a pastor. And he got my attention right away. And he says, I used to be a pastor for 20 years. And one day I decided, you know what? I'm tired of making $50,000 a year. Hey, man. He's, you know, I, I, I was always afraid to make more money, he says. He don't know I'm sitting out there. And I'm like, what? And, and, he, and he starts, he starts browbeating the ministry and talking about the ministry and, you know, how it affected his kids and, uh, and how it did this. Well, no kidding. Amen. It's ministry. It affects all of us. We've all had setbacks. And this guy, man, is just saying all these crazy things, man. And, and, and now what he had done is he, he, he got out of the ministry. He had a very successful church, but all he kept saying over and over and over and over, and he kept putting ministry in this bucket over here and, and saying that the big life was making money. And he put the big life, the big life. He was like a motivational speaker. And he was irritating me the whole time, talking about how ministry would cause so many problems in people's lives and this and that. And then afterwards, you know, I wasn't trying to be self-righteous, but he angered me. And I went up to him because I wanted to ask him. I wasn't upset with the guy because he got out of the ministry as much as I was mad at him because he poo-pooed on the ministry. It made it seem like all preachers are meant to be poor. All preachers are meant to be, you know, oppressed. All preachers are meant to, you know, get dragged through the mud. And I, and, and, and I was like, you know what? The ministry is a privilege. The God of heaven and earth calls us into the ministry. It's an honor. It's a privilege. And yeah, it's tough, man. But, but, but that's why we have these rallies. <laughs> Amen. That's why there's a telephone. I can call people. I call Mario. Amen. And, uh, but uh, when I went up to this guy, I walked up to him and he said, my name is so-and-so. You know, he's filthy rich. I shook his hand and I said, I'm a pastor. And he goes, and, go, and I said, and I wanted to say, and, and I barely make 50000 Amen. Yeah, but, I told, but I told him, I said, I still have a church. I only have 50 people, but it's, I, I, believe, I believe it's a privilege. And then when I walked away, I, I said, was that the right thing for me to do? The part of me said, yeah, I should have slapped him, man. But the other part, you know, the other part of me, you know, I felt like maybe I should have just left it because I'm trying to get work from this guy. That's his business. Let me just tell you this. In Romans chapter 11, verse 29, it says, the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. And, and the reason I brought that story up about this guy is because I felt like what he had done, is he had cheapened the ministry. And in my, my humble opinion, he'd become a motivational speaker trying to help other realtors become rich and, and gave up what God was going to do in his life. Amen. It's a privilege whether you got 20 people or 2,000 people, whether you're teaching a 
a Sunday school class or whatever you might be doing. Let me tell you something. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. And I like what it says in the NIV. His call is irrevocable. When God puts his hand on a person, it's for life. The call of God is, is not a light thing. There's a scripture in Matthew 2, and 14, and he says, For many are called and few are chosen. And what brought this whole message to my mind about bringing it here to you and sharing it with you was over the last couple of years just dealing with men. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking to everybody, but just dealing with men that don't want to do anything. Men that... that that like the scripture says, God calls the base things, the, the, those things that are despised, those things that the world doesn't care about. The world wouldn't spit on you if you were on fire. And, 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 and men that, that look like they have everything together. They have the, seems like they, they have all the word skills and they have all the potential and they could do so much for God, but yet you can't drag them into doing anything. I remember asking recently, I asked a, a bunch of guys, I, I've been, you know, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to continue to to press them. I got an idea from Pastor Paul recently. Um, you know, I'm trying to figure out the whole, uh, I don't mean to sound a, uh, archaic, but, you know, how, uh, when you get on the, uh, the cell phone and you put everybody on a group text. So I put all the guys on a group text, right? And every morning I text them a scripture. Every morning I try to encourage him. Every morning I try to tell him God's going to use your life. And then I start calling guys, hey, you want open service? You want to do this? You want to do that? Would you like to teach a small group? Would you like to do that? And there's one particular guy, man, that every time that I come with just any kind of pressure, I'm talking just slightly put pressure on him, he disappears for two months. Amen? And I know that's not just him. I see all kinds of guys like that. They're running from the call of God. They're running from the will of God. And that people want to come to church and they want to put their, their South 40 in his seat, but they don't want to do nothing. Why is it that 10% of the people do 90% of the work? I never understood that. When I got saved, the first thing that my wife and I wanted to do the next time we walked into the church is, what can we do here? Where can we get involved? What can we get? Well, give me a place. And I remember asking, can, you, can we do something? And, they, and there was a concert scene we did, you know, the concert scenes on Saturday night. And they asked me if I cleaned the bathrooms. And I said, absolutely. And I sang while I cleaned those bathrooms. Honest to God. I would sing, he set me free. Yes, he said, I'd be cleaning the toilets. I was in charge of them toilets. Amen. Those are my bathrooms. Amen. Those bathrooms are going to stay clean. It, I'm, not, I'm telling you, it was a privilege. Whatever they would ask me to do. I remember praying a prayer. One of these, I remember somebody was preaching. They said, it's a dangerous prayer to say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And I prayed that prayer. And then they would ask me to do things, and I was like, okay, amen. I, I remember I had, the, uh, for years, I would always say, man, I don't really like kids, you know, for when I first got saved. I don't like kids, just the ones I got, and half time I don't like them. And one day, they came, pastor came to me and said, you want to do Sunday school? I said, okay. <laughs> but let me tell you something. It was a godsend to me, and for a whole year, man, I loved it. I loved going in there. I loved stirring up those teachers, but I loved ministering to those kids. I would mess. The teachers hated me because they'd go into all their classes, and then I would sneak into their classes and start wrestling kids and, and messing with them and stirring up the class, and everybody would yelling at me, what are you doing in here? But it was, it was a time in my life where God was, was, was trying to work something out of me. Amen? You know, I don't know where God wants me to go or what God wants to do in my life, 
But I know God has a plan. Just like you, he has a plan. I don't know where you're at in God. I don't know exactly what, what God's doing. But in order to get us from point A to point V, there's things we got to go through, things that have to happen in life. I've always believed that ministry is it's levels. It levels off for a season. There's, a, there's a, a marine motto, adapt, improvise, and overcome. And I use that all the time with our church. Adapt, improvise, and overcome because you never know what's going to happen, but you got to be ready for it. Whatever's coming, be ready for it. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus said, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I, with all my heart, I believe that we are at a place in history like no other place in history. I mean, people will say, well, people are hard and, and people don't want to hear it. That's not true. People are more open to the gospel now than they've ever been. I, people will say, no, that's not true. Yes, it is true. People are desperate and lonely and hungry. People, men, are lonely and suicidal and depressed, and they got all kinds of fronts. That's a, of course they do. Everybody, all this political correctness garbage, amen? But when you get to the root of the problem, when you get to the heart of the problem, people are desperate, and they're looking for something real. They want something that's real, and they want to see something real, and they have to see it in us. Amen? We have to believe what we preach. We have to believe what we say. We have to believe that, that, that it's true. Amen? People are hungry. I mean, I, I have, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm going through it, I have to go back to when I first got saved. I go back to the basics in my mind, you know? What, what, what were the things, man, that brought me through? What were the things, man, that, that helped me in serving God? You know what it was? Reaching the lost. In whatever capacity, going after the lost, getting people saved. There's no greater joy. The other day, I had a guy give a testimony. We did. We had a, the band Sabor come and minister, and, and I was trying to get different people to come up and give a testimony. And this guy just got saved um, uh, maybe back in August and never been to church in his entire life. And uh, he's, he's an amazing guy. His name's Mike. Some of the, we got some folks here from Denver. You guys know Mike, amen? What an awesome dude this guy is, amen? He is a raw convert. He had visited a church once or twice before in his life. The first time, time he came to our church, after service, he came up to me and he goes, wow, man, that's the first time I didn't fall asleep in a church service. <laughs> and, and, but you know what he is to me? He's a, he's a glass of fresh, fresh, cold water, amen, because he'll do anything I ask him to do. He'll, 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 if I say, can you do this? He says, I'll do it. Can you, can you come over and help me move this? He'll do it. I mean, that's the kind of, I want to be that kind of Christian myself, so the men that I work with will be that kind of a Christian, amen? And this guy, man, he's a, I asked him the other day, I said, would you give your testimony? He goes, oh my, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, he's freaking out. So I went and got his wife and brought her. I said, can you go with him? And this is what I want you to do, A, B, C, D. And Pastor Paul heard him. He was there preaching, and he just got up there real humbly. Yeah, my life, I just, uh, you know, and uh, this and that and that and this. And then, he, and then he hands the mic to his wife, and then she finishes the testimony. And when I caught him in the hallway, he said, I had never done anything like that in my life where I shared my heart. He only spoke for like 17 seconds, amen? <laughs> but I want 100 of him. Amen. I don't want, I would rather have, I'd rather have 50 guys like him than a thousand people, man, that are telling me, hey, pastor, I'll be there at, I'll be there at five o'clock, and they never show. I'll be at church, they never come. 
I'll do this ministry. Yes, yes, what a privilege. And never show up. You know when a, when a man gets off course or a woman gets off course and they run from the call of God, God will always bring them back to the place where they left the road. Do you know that? He always brings us back to that place. I can't tell you how many times I got off course. I got off course, amen. You know, I know that not everybody's called to be a pastor or pastor at church or go on the mission field, but every single breathing person in this room is called to be a fisher of men. Every single one of us are called to find our place in ministry. There's a place for you somewhere. God has something for you. He wants to use your life. You know, he wants to take you from level to level to level. He wants to use you. You know, I remember a lady told me one time uh, at Breakaway, she said, she said, I want to be used. 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 And this is the truth. We were, I was after a service, and there was a vacuum cleaner right there. I said, can you vacuum that? She said, that's not my ministry. <laughs> Amen? You can't clean a toilet. You can't preach a sermon. And all the preachers who clean toilets and preach sermons say amen. <laughs> Billy Sunday was a famous evangelist. He grew up in an orphanage, and later in life he became a baseball player. They said off the field this guy's life was out of control. An outreach team found him one day in a gutter drunk after a drinking binge, and they began to share the gospel with this guy. He begins to preach. They said at the height of his ministry, he was preaching 20 sermons a week. And they tried to estimate over 300,000 people got locked into the kingdom of God through his ministry. I read books about a man by the name of C.T. Studd. Some of you have probably read about him. Grew up in a wealthy home, was an athlete playing cricket. In 1878, a visiting preacher caught him at 18 years old on his way to play cricket. He was a professional cricket player. He asked him, he said, are you, are you a Christian? He begins to minister to him. He kneels down. He gives his life to the Lord. The, the joy of the Lord floods his soul. But for six years, he didn't share the gospel with not one single person. From his own uh, description, he said, he said, I was backslidden. He said, for six years, I never shared anything. He said, the love of the world had crept in. In 1883, Stud went to hear Dwight L. Moody speak. He said, I got stirred afresh. Immediately, he began to share the gospel with other people. And two years later, he was in China. You know, later, he said he had tasted all the pleasures of the world, but none of them gave him so much pleasure as bringing one soul to Christ. There's no greater joy than leading somebody to Jesus. There is no greater joy, y'all. There's no greater joy than looking over in a church service and saying, Somebody that you're responsible for bringing to church. There is no greater joy. You look over and you see that person. And it's like you want to help them. You want to call them. You want to encourage them. You find yourself praying for them. You know, he answered the call of God to three different countries. China, India, and Africa. He gave up wealth, family, popularity, and a career in sports. Amen. And he had this, he had this saying. He said, some want to live within the sound of a church chapel bell. But I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And he would say, forever forward, backward never. Forever forward and backward never. In a letter that he wrote shortly before he died, he says, I believe I'm now nearing my departure from this world, but I have a few things to rejoice in. He said, number one, that God called me to China, and in spite of the utmost opposition from my loved ones, I went. Number two, that God called me to China, and I went in spite of of all the struggles and the heartache and the pain. He had some serious failures. He had some serious setbacks in his life. Number three, he said that I joyfully acted as Christ told the rich young man. He said, sell all that you have and follow me. 
And then number three, he said, my only joys, therefore, are that when God asked me to, to do a work, I never refused it. In 1931, at 10.30 p.m. on someday in July, he went on home to be with the Lord. And that, this is what he said. He said his very last words out of his breath as he was dying was hallelujah. And I thought, man, that's what I want to happen. James Frazier was quoted as saying, this is what God wants to see. His people praying for patches of fire burning all over the world. I know many believers, you know, are kind of hanging off of the rapture and they're hoping the world's gone crazy and we're just hoping that Jesus will come today. But listen, that's not the call of God for us. God's called us to reach the lost. God's called us to reach people. Whatever creative ways we can do it, God wants to use your life. He says, I want to use the base things, those things that are despised, those things that the world rejects. That's who God wants to use. One of the prayers I love to pray all the time is, God, give us the messed up, tore up from the floor up people. Give us the drunks and the people that nobody wants. Give us the people, man, that the world rejects. Give us people that are discouraged and beat up and lonely and depressed. Give me all those people, amen, and bring them into the church. Praise God. I, I'll say this again. Never has the world been so ripe for revival. It's never been so ripe. It's never been so ready. Who's not ready? Us. The world is such a distraction. There's so many... I told Sharice yesterday or the day before yesterday, I got to stop watching the news. It's discouraging, depressing. The world's crazy. They're going left, right, up, down. They hate you. They don't hate you. They know who they are. The world, I I can't look at them. I want to see what is God saying? What is God doing? What does God want me to do? What's the call? What what does God want me to do right now? Amen? Amen. Here's my question that I want to bring to this this message this morning is this. Why is it so hard to get men and women to go after God? Men and women who have such great potential. Such great potential. You see that you see the gifts and talents in their life and, and so many things that God could do in them. You see it, but they, for some reason they can't see it. Why is it so hard to get them to see that? And, 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 and sometimes I'm with Mario. I get pretty discouraged. And I'll tell him. I'm, I'm pretty straightforward with the men. I'll get them alone and tell him, what's wrong with you? Amen. Can't you see? Amen. You know, I shake them. Shake them, man. I tell them, You're, are you nuts? What's the matter with you? God wants to use your life. I know, but, 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 I got a medical marijuana card. <laughs> but, 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 but. Isaiah 6, he said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. God didn't say, well, Isaiah, you're not qualified. Let me, I'm going to use so-and-so or sister or brother so-and-so. He said, here am I, send me. And the first thing he said was, go and tell this people. My question to you this morning is this, is what is God asking you to do? What's God asking us to do that we're not doing? What's God asking us to do? All the entire time that I've been saved, it seems like I've always struggled with the will of God. I always had, I'm just like you. God, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? If this is what I'm supposed to be doing, why is it so hard? <laughs> right? Why is it so difficult? And then I have to go back to the simple fact that, you know, all through the word of God, it's written in military terms. It's written, uh, fight, the fi- fight the good fight of faith. It talks about this fight that we're in. This, You know, God saves fighters. He likes to save people who like to scrap. 
Amen. If you're a scrapper, you're in the right place. Amen. God will use scrappers. He likes scrappers. You know, I've always said that most of the dictators of the world are short people. Amen. Because they got a short man syndrome. Amen. God can use you. Turn to your neighbor and say, God can use you. Turn to the other neighbor and say, God has something for you. And then go back to the other neighbor and say, it's time to do it. In Romans chapter 5, verse 20, in the NIV, he says, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. I try not to see the world and the things in the world and the, and the struggles and the heartache and where we're at in Denver, there's a lot of, just like any city, drugs and, and gangs and problems and alcohol and, and violence and different things going on all the time, homelessness, you name the problem, it's happening there. The Bible still says where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. God, if God saved you, God's called you. God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life. Your call is not to sit in church. Your call is to get up and go. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to your neighbor, to your co-worker, to your friend. But there are men in this place, I'm going to tell you the truth. You have a call of God in your life to pastor a church. And you ghost God. Amen? You ain't ready. I got to wait. I got this, that, and the other. I'm not prepared. Uh, you know, how do you get prepared? I mean, you get prepared by praying and reading and doing what you're supposed to do now. That's what I figured out. I figured out, well, if God's ever going to use my life, then I better start doing something now. So I started doing what I saw other people do, pastors do. I saw them praying. I saw them reading. I saw them witnessing. I saw them treating their wives right. I saw how they raised their kids. I watch people. I like to watch people. And when I see successful people, when I see people that really have it together as, as a father, as a, as a husband or ministry or whatever it is, I want to emulate who they are. I like to check them out. How did they get like that? What was their life like before? Is there hope for me? And I'm here to tell you, yes, 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 and yes, there is. Amen? I'm telling you right now, it's time for the church to rise up, man. When we say, this is the, this is the problem that I have with, with the, the term revival, is that we're always saying, God's going to send revival, God's going to send revival. And people yawn spiritually when they hear that because we've said it so much. We say it all the time, revival, 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 amen. Listen, I, I can't wait for revival. I want to be a revival. Wherever I'm at, I want to be revival. If God only gives me 50 people, then I got 50 people. If he gives me 5,000 people, I got 5,000 people. But I want to be a revival wherever I go. I want, I want people to see something in me that they can emulate. I don't want people to look at me and go, he's not the same way at home as he is at church. He's a hypocrite. He's a liar. Uh, I don't believe that. I want God, I want people to see it. I remember one time I was preaching in church, and, and uh, all I preached was the message just like this, on finding God's will for your life, finding Finding what God wants to do in your life. And I began, I was preaching and preaching, sharing my heart, saying, God can use your life, and God can use your life. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, I get a phone call from a guy who just started coming to church, and he's drunk, and he's cussing me out, and he's telling me, he says, you are preaching at me. You are preaching at me. And as God is my witness, I was not preaching to him. Amen. I was preaching. 
Amen. He wasn't even on my mind. He just started coming to church. And he got mad at me and he's screaming at me and cussing at me. And I'm trying to get a word in edgewise. And, you know, you can't talk to a drunk. But I didn't want to lose the guy. So I kept trying to talk to him. And I, and I, found, my, I found myself apologizing to him when I shouldn't have. Amen. And I kept thinking, here's this guy, man. He thinks I'm talking to him when God was talking to him. Amen. He never came back. I, no matter how much I apologized, no matter how much I told him, listen, don't look at me, look to God. God has a plan for your life. Now, 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 now. How many men like that come through churches, amen, that are so easily offended? Why are men so easily offended in, offended in 2019? How come we get so easily offended all the time? I don't understand it, man, why people get so easily offended. Listen, read the word of God. When God got upset with people, he slapped their lips off, amen? I mean, think about it, Right? Jesus says, you, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised, Stephen told him. Jesus called him, you hypocrites, you, and he's, you Pharisees. I mean, rebuke is good. We need it. I got rebuked a lot coming up, probably more than most people, because I always put my foot in my mouth. Amen? But you know what? The, the, the thing, the saving grace, is I was able to say, you're right. Amen? Even at first, if I didn't feel it was right, as I went along, I said, even, I said, I'm still accepted. Thank you. Hell, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It proves that you love me. It proves that you care for me. It proves there's hope in my life, that God has a plan for my life. If everybody loves you, you're, you are, uh, you're not even saved. If everybody loves you, amen. If everybody loves you, something's wrong with you, amen. There's going to be people that don't like you. There's going to be people who talk about you. They're going to say things about you on social media. I hope they talk about me. I like it. Amen. I want them to talk about me. Amen. I want them to say things. That means that God's doing something. I'm on the right path. Amen. How many want to do something for God? Amen. Praise God. Amen. Good word, Pastor. Praise God. Well, we're going to get ready to go to break right now. Uh, amen. Who's ready to eat? <laughs>